tonight. Uh, if your Bibles are open to Hebrews chapter 12 this morning, uh, we looked at the scripture and we, uh, we dwelled upon the, the Bible teaching of grow in grace. We saw that marvelous church in Thessalonica to whom Paul wrote a letter about a year after he had started the church. Remember, he was only there for three weeks or so. Persecution drove him away. And so a year later, he writes back to that same group of people and he's rejoicing at their work of faith and their labor of love and their patience of hope. After, after a difficult start a year later, they're still serving the Lord. They're still grounded. Uh, and Paul is rejoicing about that fact. Then we looked at second Thessalonians that was written about two years later than that. And we see Paul is talking to the same church and now he talks about their faith. But instead of being where it was a year ago, he said, your faith groweth exceedingly. And the love that was present uh, in the first letter, uh, he is now talking about how their charity towards one another abounded. So their faith has grown and their love has grown and their patience in the midst of all their persecutions and trials had driven them into a more steadfast stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything about the church at Thessalonica and that group of believers there shows us a, a group of people who are growing in grace. We looked in 1 Peter chapter 1 where Peter says, As newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. Peter writes to the same group of people uh, some, some years later, and he tells them, he says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is God's plan for those of us who know Jesus Christ as Savior that we don't stay baby Christians. We just keep growing and going forward no matter how long we're here on this earth. We ought to be able to look back and know God's worked in my life. God's changed my life. And I'm not what I was even a year ago. I'm, I'm going forward. There ought to be a desire in our hearts and our minds to grow. When I was a boy, I grew up in western Pennsylvania in farm country, uh, a little rural area and uh, just a few homes scattered every few miles and so forth. Like I said, farm country. We had a, a friend of our family and they were the Zimmerman family. And uh, Mr. and Mrs. Zimmerman, and they had two or three children about the age of my brother and my sister and myself. And uh, sometimes on, on Fridays or Saturday evenings, the, the friends would, would meet at somebody's house and we would, we would just spend an evening fellowshipping. Uh, the kids would play and the adults would just sit and talk and so forth. I remember one year that the Zimmermans had a new addition to their family. Now, we're talking back in uh, probably the early 1960s. So I was a little boy of uh, seven, eight, maybe nine years of age. And uh, the whole idea of the social programs and stuff we have today, they were still sort of getting off the ground and, and so forth. And the Zimmermans had become foster parents. And that was a new term. That was something that I was not familiar with. And they had been asked to take in a little boy who was about two and a half years of age. It's been so many years, I'll be honest, I don't remember his name, but I remember seeing him for the first time. 
At two and a half years of age, he should have been running around all over the place. Uh, he should have been talking and playing and getting into everything. But this little boy just laid on the floor on a blanket. They had only had him for a couple of weeks. Um, he, could not, he could not hold his own head up. If, if they were to hold him in their lap, they would have to have their hand behind his neck or his head would just flop over to one side or the other. He had no ability to hold his head up. He could not sit up by himself. He could not speak. It is not that he was mentally challenged or handicapped in any way, but he was placed in the foster care system because his mom and dad, for whatever reason, had never fed him. He did not get milk. He got Kool-Aid. And as best as Mr. and Mrs. Zimmerman, I, I heard them explaining it uh, to my parents and they were telling us about it too so that we could understand uh, that this was a special little boy and we needed to be gentle around him uh, and so forth. Um, Kool-Aid, that's, that's all his parents gave him. We don't know if, if that was all they could afford or they just did not maybe in of themselves have the training, the background to know that that's not how you care for an infant. A two and a half year old child who's lived on Kool-Aid. Now, that was decades ago, almost six decades ago. And I still remember that night. I remember that little boy. Uh, I remember when we would go to church, I would see them carrying that little boy in with them. And over time, uh, he, would, he began to put on a little bit of weight and they, they had to be very careful how they introduced a formula and different things to him. It was a long time before he could handle solid food uh, and so forth. And I've often wondered, you know, what became of him. But you understand because, because no one ever fed him, he never grew. And that's not, that's not the way it's supposed to be, is it? Um, it, it was a sad thing to see. It was, it was a heartbreaking thing. There was no judgment on that little boy. There was no making fun of that little boy. If anything, our hearts went out to him. And in a lot of ways, everybody that came in contact with him was just kind of drawn to show special love to him, to try to maybe make up what he lost out on from those that were supposed to give that to him. Growth is a part of life. It is, a, it is a normal part of life in every area, and it's supposed to be a normal part of our spiritual lives. But not everybody grows the way that they should. Keeping your place in Hebrews 12, can you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, a familiar portion of scripture. This is a church that Paul had also started. He had spent uh, about two years there. Uh, he was their pastor. He spent a lot of time teaching them. Uh, they had a lot of great pastors that came through. Paul was their founding pastor. We know the apostle Peter was there for a while. We know that a man named Apollos, who was mighty in the scriptures and a very eloquent man, was a pastor there. So these are people that had been exposed to very great teaching, sound doctrine from the Bible. But notice what Paul says to them. And I, brethren... Chapter three, verse one, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, spiritually minded, spiritually mature people. He said, I couldn't speak unto you that way, uh, but as unto carnal. The word carnal means fleshly. It's the exact opposite of spiritual. 
Somebody that is spiritual, has a heart for God, has an understanding of the scriptures, um, is, is able to, to teach other people the Bible, to serve the Lord, whereas the carnal person has very limited, if any, knowledge of the Bible. They don't have a spiritual victory in their lives. Paul said, I can't speak to you like, like you're spiritual, but as unto carnal, he said, even as unto babes in Christ. These aren't, these aren't brand new Christians. These are people that have been saved for a number of years by the time Paul Wright wrote this letter to them. Just like that little boy that the Zimmermans brought into their home as a foster child, he wasn't a newborn baby. He wasn't anymore. Uh, his age should have had him well beyond that, but for some reason, and because of the mistreatment and care, miscare uh, of his birth parents, he never grew. And Paul's saying about this church at Corinth, he said, that's the way you are. I fed you with milk, not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. Wow, what a sad testimony. With the church at Thessalonica, it's, it's your faith has grown exceedingly and your charity towards each other aboundeth and your patience has made you steadfast and solid amidst all the persecutions. You've got that church and now you have another church. And Paul said, I can't even talk to you about spiritual things because you're still acting like baby Christians. In the book of Hebrews, we'll go back there again. We'll be looking at a lot of scripture again tonight. I'll try not to be uh, terribly long here this evening. Here the Lord compares the Christian life to the running of a race. We're familiar with this passage, but look again at verse one that we read with Brother Carson. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. This idea of running a race, you realize in running a race, that's forward momentum, that's forward motion, is it not? Uh, uh, and unless it's just some kind of thing you're doing to be uh, 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 fooling around or horsing around or whatever, nobody runs backwards in a race. It's all about going forward. It's all about covering as much ground as you possibly can. I mentioned this morning that from the time I was a, a little bitty boy, I was vertically challenged. I was just always short for my age. Um, uh, obviously, I was never the center on the basketball team. Uh, football was not my thing. The one thing I was good at was running. A lot of little guys are good at running because generally we have to run to, to uh, save our lives from the big guys that we are yelling at and making fun of. We have to run faster than so they don't beat us up. Um, so I was a fast little guy and I liked running races. Uh, even now I've got a running blade, as you know. And uh, this year, I'm, I'm, uh, now that we got the, the, the heart thing all figured out, uh, I've already got plans of putting that blade on and, and learning how to use it. And uh, there is a race in New York City in Central Park this coming July. Uh, it's called the Achilles 2024 race. And it's only for amputees like myself. You guys can't run in it. Um, and uh, it, it's... Um, um, I think it's a, a, a three mile, it's not quite a 5k run slash walk slash ride through Central Park for amputees. And I'm hoping that it doesn't fall on a Sunday so I can do that this year. 
Um, that idea of running a race, that idea of moving forward in momentum is the illustration that God gives us here about our Christian lives going forward, growing in grace. But the Bible warns us in Hebrews 12 that if we're going to run this race that is set before us, the Bible says, look again at verse one, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. So if I want to go forward, if I want to run this race of the Christian life, there are some things that I cannot have in my life. They will hinder my growth. They will hinder my progress. Let's look at a few things that are very common to, to all of us uh, that, that might just hinder us from growing and becoming the kind of Christians we ought to be. Number one, and by the way, we're coming back to Hebrews 12, so don't, don't lose your place here. Number one, people can keep us from growing. People can keep us from growing. Turn to Galatians, if you would, please, chapter 5. As I mentioned, uh, trying to use a lot of scripture here tonight. Galatians was written to a group of churches in a region known as Galatia. They had gotten all confused with false doctrine, especially when it came to the matter of salvation. Paul had clearly taught them that salvation is not based on works of righteousness, which we have done. Um, I grew up in a, in a church that taught me if I was a good boy, if I went to church, maybe uh, when I died, I would be good enough to get to heaven. That's not the gospel. The Bible says not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he hath saved us. Salvation is not by works, lest any man should boast. The Bible says, for by grace, grace is God doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and then not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. These people in these churches of Galatia had been taught the gospel correctly, but somebody came in and just started messing with their doctrine, telling them, oh, no, no, no. Uh, it's one thing to believe on Jesus, but you also got to join the church and you got to become a good Jew and you got to do this. And they started adding all kinds of things to it. Salvation is Jesus and Jesus alone. If I could earn my way to heaven, then please, please tell me, why did Jesus come and die on the cross? Why did he shed his blood if a church could get me there? or if my baptism could get me there. Those are all things I was taught uh, as a little boy, but none of those things are found in the Bible. Jesus came to die on the cross to save us from sin's penalty because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Um, and the only way I can pay for my sins is to die and be separated from God for all eternity. I can't pay for your sins I have my own to pay for, and you can't pay for mine because you have your own to pay for. Jesus had no sin. And so he became our substitute and died on the cross in our place so that salvation is called the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So Paul had taught the, the doctrine of salvation correctly, but others came through and, and uh, messed up that doctrine. And, and these people were just, they had been growing. They had been uh, serving the Lord and so forth. Look at Galatians chapter five and verse number seven. He said, ye did run well. See that idea of the race being tied in through the scripture. Ye did run well. There was a day you were going forward. There's a day you were growing. You were learning the Bible. You loved the Lord. 
and you were serving God. Ye did run well, that's past tense. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? Who did hinder you? People can be wonderful influences in our lives, can they not? The Bible says, iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. If you've been around here any length of time, uh, the name Jeff Arthurs is a familiar name to you. I got saved as a teenager, 14-year-old kid. Didn't grow up in that church. I rode a bus to that church. Um, my dad wasn't saved, didn't come from a Christian home, but I came into that church and they had a small youth group of about a dozen teenagers and they just welcomed me in. And the first teenager that met me on the first Sunday morning was this tall uh, kid. He was my age named Jeff Arthurs. And he held out his hand and he said, hi, my name's Jeff. What is yours? And I stammered out an answer. Um, he said, how old are you? I said, I'm, I'm 14. He said, what grade are you going into? I said, I'm going into 10th grade. He said, you're in my Sunday school class. And he just grabbed me and took me off and took me downstairs to where the teen boys class was. And I was hoping my parents were okay with that. He didn't ask permission. We just went down and Jeff just took me under his wing. Um, Jeff was a, he was just a good guy. Jeff loved the Lord. Uh, Jeff was multi-talented. Like I said, he was tall and I was not, he was cool and I was not, but Jeff was just one of those godly influences. Uh, the first Wednesday night after I visited that church, I got a call from Jeff and he said, Hey, my, my mom and dad are the youth leaders at the church here. And we have a, a youth meeting on Wednesday nights at seven o'clock while the adults are having a Bible study. We have a teen meeting and, and my parents said, if you could come and your parents are okay with it, we'll come pick you up and bring you to church. And so one week after I got saved, there I am on Wednesday night church. Um, and I, I'm sitting with this kid, Jeff. And, uh, you know, he, he just always was there. Jeff was, I, I can honestly say this. There was never a moment when I was in high school, that Jeff Arthurs was anything but a godly friend. I never heard him telling an off-color joke. I never heard him complaining about his parents. I never heard him complaining about the pastor. Uh, uh, I, I really never even heard him saying unkind things about other kids in the youth group. Jeff was involved in all kinds of stuff. I joined the choir because Jeff uh, said, hey, you ought to join the choir. I started working on a bus route on Saturday because Jeff said, hey, I, I work on the Greensburg bus route. How about you come out and, and, and go on the bus route with me? God gave me this friendship in Jeff Arthur's. How many, how many have had a friend like that since you got saved? Boy, that's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Friends can do that for us, but you understand friends can do, have just the opposite effect if they're, they're not the right kind of friend. David had a number of children. His oldest son was a boy by the name of Amnon. Amnon was the heir to the throne. When King David died, Amnon should have been next in line for the throne. Now, Amnon had a half-sister. David had several wives, uh, not legal today. Uh, it was legal then. It was still not wise, but he had several wives. And um, uh, his daughter Tamar was Amnon's half-sister, and Amnon fell in love with his half-sister. Uh, they're, they're young. It was a dumb thing to do. It was not a good thing. It was not a smart thing. It should not have been done at all. Uh, but he let his thoughts and his heart get away from him. He fell in love with her. But in spite of that, 
The Bible says he thought it hard to do anything against her. He would never, ever touch her. He would never, ever do anything to hurt or harm her. He just was in love with her. Um, it was an infatuation thing. And again, we already know it's wrong. And he knew it was wrong. He, he knew it wasn't right. That's why he said, not going not gonna to do anything about it. I, this, is not, this is not right. The Bible has an ominous phrase then as it unfolds the story of Amnon. It says, but Amnon had a friend. Turns out it was actually his cousin. The Bible says his name was Jonadab. And the Bible says Jonadab was a subtle man. Does anybody remember the first time in the Bible the word subtle was used? It was used about the serpent in the Garden of Eden. Jonadab was a deceiver. Jonadab was the guy always looking for the loophole and, and all of those things in the way out. Uh, so Amnon, he, he's in love with his half-sister. He shouldn't be, and he knows it. He has no intention of doing anything wrong, but he came under the influence of his friend, this deceiver. And Amnon pressured, I'm sorry, Jonadab uh, pressured and, and convinced uh, Amnon to just go ahead and do what he wanted. And they, they, they put a scheme together. Long story short, Amnon, the guy who said, she's my half sister. I'd never hurt her, hurt her. He ruined her. He ruined her. When he did so, her brother Absalom sought revenge and eventually Amnon got killed by her full brother because of a, the influence of a friend. Certainly that's an extreme account. But you remember, Paul wrote to the churches at Galatia, ye did run well. There was a day you were going forward. Who'd you start running with? 1 Corinthians 15, says, evil communications corrupt good manners. Um, in, in our terminology today, the wrong friends will change the way you live. The wrong friends will change the way you think. The wrong friends will change the way you serve God. They'll change everything about you. In fact, the wrong friends, the Bible uses the word, will corrupt everything that's good about you. And we've got to be very, very careful about this matter of the wrong friends. The wrong friends. There's a second thing that can keep us from growing. For this, we will go back to Hebrews 12. I'd ask you to keep your place there. Appreciate you turning uh, in the scriptures with me. Hebrews 12, in that verse it says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. The first thing that'll keep us from growing in grace is people. Number two is pollution. Pollution. He said, lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Sin will keep us from growing in grace. And we're not just talking about the great big ones that we always think of, you know, adultery or murder or something like that. Uh, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. We were here briefly this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2. Again, verse number one, wherefore laying aside, same thing he said in Hebrews, laying aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Now he says, laying aside all malice, that's evil thoughts or intentions towards other people, and all guile, 
that's deception. And hypocrisy, saying one thing but doing another. Uh, expecting one thing of somebody else but a different thing of ourselves. That's hypocrisies. Envies, being jealous of other people, what they have or can do. And all evil speakings, cursing and lying and backbiting and, and a whole list of, of the sins of the tongue. We're to lay all those things aside as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. Um, sin will keep us from growing in grace. It'll hinder us in every way. Um, those of you that have been around here for a while have heard me use this particular illustration, but in January of 2017, when my wife was diagnosed with cancer, she began to do a lot of research about cancer cures and treatments for her, especially for her particular type of cancer, a glioblastoma. And in her research, very early on, we found out that diet actually has a lot to do with cancer and its progression. Along this vein, yesterday I was coming into the church yesterday morning uh, about 8.30 or so, and there was a, some health segment on, um, I think it was the Hartford Station or whatever, and there was, a, there was an oncologist on there that was talking, and he said that by the year 2050, there will be an 85% increase in cancer cases in the United States of America. That's 26 years from now. Um, and and I, so automatically I'm sitting up and listening because those numbers sounded very familiar. And he said almost all of it can be traced back to the way we as Americans eat. Trina found out early on, one of the, the big no-nos for cancer is what? Sugar. You, you, cancer feeds on sugar. What surprised us is when she was going for radiation treatments, uh, she was talking to everybody there about the Lord and so forth. Um, and she was talking to them about how, how she'd learned some things, how careful she was about uh, eating. And she wasn't eating anything with sugar in it. And, and, and we were reading labels and yeast and a whole bunch of other things were just out of the question. Well, one of the radiation tech, uh, techs uh, got the wrong idea and thought that Trina was like starving herself or whatever. And uh, so the next week, we went in and the radiologist had a cancer cookbook for Trina said we just want to make sure you're getting the right nutrition and all of that which was very nice and uh, so uh, you know Trina handed it to me while she went in for her radiation treatment and I started looking through it and I'm looking at every recipe that's in there and, and the pictures looked really good I was getting hungry thinking let's get this treatment over so we can go out to eat uh, that type of thing and then I noticed every single recipe in the cookbook from the cancer hospital had sugar in it. It's like, do you guys not even know your own field of study? That type of thing. We found out that there were certain fruits that are, that are not good to eat for cancer and others that are highly beneficial in warding it off. And the wrong kind of food can feed cancer and can make it grow even worse. That's what sin is to us spiritually. And again, we're, we're just thinking it's all those big things, but he said malice, evil thoughts and intentions about other people. He said, you need to lay that aside so that you can grow. And evil speakings, you need to lay that aside so that you can grow. We need to understand that pollution, and that's what the word pollution stands for, sin. 
will cause us to not grow. It was the sin of stubbornness that ruined King Saul and ruined the future of his entire family. It was the sin of adultery that brought chaos into the life and the family of David. It was the sin of pride that destroyed Absalom. It was the sin of self-righteousness, listen carefully to this one, that caused God to get angry with Job. Job was unlike any other human being. The Bible says there was none like him in all the earth, one that feared God and eschewed evil or shunned evil. But as Job's trials went on and as his three so-called friends just kept picking away at him and, and, and working on him, uh, Job began to rise up with a spirit of self-righteousness. And by the end of the book, God had to deal with Job, the Bible says, because he was righteous in his own eyes. Job wasn't cursing, he, he, he wasn't doing dope, he, he wasn't living un, uh, an unclean life, but he had that, that sin of self-righteousness, like I don't need to hear anything from God, I don't need, the fault's not in me, if you will, the fault's in God. And God got angry with, with Job of all people over that. Uh, the sin of anger and his temper hindered Moses from ever entering into the promised land. People will keep me from growing. So I need to be careful who I hang out with. And you do too. Choose your friends wisely and choose them biblically. And sometimes we have to unchoose some friends. We have to unselect. Hit the unfriend button. That doesn't mean that you're unkind to them. They just don't become your close bosom buddies anymore uh, because they're going to lead you down the wrong path. Pollution will keep us from growing. Pride. Pride will keep us from growing. The Bible says pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. I want you to turn to the Old Testament, to the book of 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 26. Here we read about the, one of the various kings of Judah. We're introduced to him in uh, verse number one. Then all the people of Judah took Uz Uzziah, who was 16 years old and made him king in the room of his father, Amaziah. They made a 16-year-old boy king. Lincoln, how old are you? 16. Lincoln's mom and dad are here. Could you see him as king? They're not, they're, they're trying to be nice about it. He, probably time, there are times he thinks he is. Uh, but imagine a 16-year-old is going to become the king. In those days, a king had... Uh, really unlimited control there. There wasn't a Congress or House of Representatives in a Senate to sort of hold him in check. The king held absolute power. They made this boy, Uzziah, uh, king at 16. Um, look at verse 3. 16 years old was Uzziah when he began to reign, and he reigned 50 and 2 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Jechaliah of Jerusalem, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah did. Here's a kid who did not let the power and position of being king go to his head. For 52 years he reigned, and the Bible says he did right in the sight of the Lord. Verse 5, he sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. 
So here's a young man with a heart for God, uh, and God blesses him. In the next few verses, you just see he, he warred against the Philistines, and he won. In verse 7, against the Arabians. In verse 8, the Ammonites, uh, and so forth. And he's building towers and fortifying the land. And uh, I mean, this young man is, is going great. Um, and now look at verse 15. He made in Jerusalem engines invented by cunning men, to be on the towers and upon the bulwarks, to shoot arrows and great stones withal. And his name spread far abroad, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. When he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. Now, he's a king. The kings of Judah were always from the tribe of Judah. They were chosen by God, the descendants of David, and his job was to lead the nation. The place of worship for the Jewish people was in the temple and the people that served in the temple always came from the tribe of Levi. The high priest was always a member of the tribe of Levi. What tribe is Uzziah from? He's from Judah. Now he's a king. Uh, he started at 16. He's seeking the Lord and everything he does, God's blessing it because he's seeking the Lord. He's having victory over this enemy and that enemy and building up the defenses of the city and God's blessing him. But all of a sudden, he just gets so content in himself and he thinks, man, I'm a good king. In fact, I'm not just a good king. I'm a great king. These people are lucky to have me here. And when he was strong, his heart was lifted up. And he thought, you know, uh, I, I've been serving God all of these years and, and, and so forth. And, and I want to go into the temple. I want to see what the holy place looks like. And, and, and I know I'm of the wrong tribe, but I'm king. Kings get to do whatever they want to do. And so the Bible says one day Uzziah just walked into the temple, walked into the holy place, and he's going to offer incense in there. And all of the, 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 the priests and the high priests and so forth are looking and said, your majesty, you're not supposed to be here. And he's getting mad at them. Who are you to tell me I shouldn't be here? And uh, just like that, God smote Uzziah with leprosy. It started in his forehead, this bright white spot. And it seems like it just spread uh, rapidly. Leprosy was a disease that, man, if you had that, you weren't allowed to go home anymore. Uh, you, you weren't even allowed in the temple, let alone to go into the holy place. And, and all of a sudden, this guy Uzziah realizes that he crossed the line with God because of his pride. And his son became de facto king. He ended up living in a little cottage back uh, on, on the way back part of the palace grounds until the day that he died. And his entire downfall was pride. The moment I get to a place where I can't, obey the Bible anymore, or I can't listen to preaching anymore, or I can't submit to leadership anymore, and I think that I'm all that in a bag of chips, or I, I, I think I'm uh, uh, smarter than everybody, and, and all of those things, and I can't listen to God. I've got pride in my life, and it'll, it'll destroy me. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before fall. Uh, the other day, I was upstairs in my apartment and I was, I was trying to get a lot of things done in a short 
period of time. And so I, w I was hurrying around the apartment, and uh, in, in one room, I have an area rug on the floor, and as I was moving from one part of that room to another, the foot on the prosthetic side of my, my, uh, my body got caught in that carpet. I mean, it just, the toe just got caught underneath that thing. And I was going so fast. I wasn't watching what I was doing. I, I, I had it all under control. And uh, I was very thankful that Anna and Rob and all the kids were out of the house or they would have heard this loud thunk. Um, they, they would have heard, uh, whatever was in my hand flying out of my hand against the wall, uh, and making a mess. And they would have heard me getting the vacuum out and cleaning up my mess and all those things. Um, I was going too fast for my own good and I fell. Falling's hard, isn't it? The Bible says pride goeth before destruction, a haughty spirit before fall. You and I need to maintain a humble spirit before God. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. The Bible says, and he shall lift thee up. What can cause us to stop growing? Problems. Problems can stop us from growing. That's kind of what happened to Job. In the first two chapters, when all of his problems came into his life, the Bible says, in all this, Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. Even when his wife said to him in chapter two, curse God and die, Job said, thou speakest as one of the foolish women speak. Shall we receive good at the hand of the Lord and not evil? The Lord hath given, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That was early on in the middle of his, uh, or the beginning of his trials. But then the months went by. Job said, I have spent wearied months, long nights, and even longer days. He said, I go to bed at night and I wish it was the morning. I go to, I wake up in the morning. I wish it was night. And then he said, I just wish that I was dead. I wish that all of this was over. And as time went on and those problems persisted, then his three friends showed up. Remember them? Friends like that who needs relatives. And, and, and they're picking and saying, well, you're going through this because you've sinned and God's judging you. Job hadn't sinned. We know that from the Bible. God was refining him. God was teaching him. God was preparing him, but God was not punishing him or chastening him. But his friends just thought that was easier to say than anything else. And Job let that all build up inside of him. And those problems, problems wore him away. So all of a sudden, the godliest man on earth is self-righteous before God said, if God were here right now, I would demand that he gives me an answer. Those are pretty bold words. By the way, don't be too harsh on Job. We've probably gotten similarly angry with God because we didn't understand things God was allowing to happen in our lives as well. Problems, we got to be careful of those things. Jesus taught the parable of the sower and he talked about some seed that fell in stony ground. And he said that the, the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches come along and it chokes the word so that we become unfruitful. Problems can do that if we're not careful. So what do we do? I, I can't speak for anybody here, but I do think because you're here on a Sunday night, the most everybody here wants to grow in grace. We don't want to be an, an, an Amnon. 
We don't want to be a King Saul. We, we don't want to mess up like Uzziah did. We don't even want to get on the wrong side of God like Job ended up. And I'm not trying to tear Job down. Better Christian than I'll ever be. But all of those people stopped growing for a time. Some never started growing again because they, they allowed either people to be a negative influence in their life or they allowed some type of pollution, some kind of sin, big or small, to come into their life or they let pride take over and they lost their humility before God or sometimes they just got overwhelmed by their problems. So, so what do we do? Hebrews 12 and, and, and we'll be finished tonight. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Before we can run that race, we need to lay aside some things. There have been times in my Christian life, I can remember a time in high school, I can remember a time in Bible college, where I allowed my friends to be more important to me than they should have. I had a great friend in Jeff Arthurs, but I remember at a time that I kind of turned my back on him. He never turned his back on me and chose the crowd that was critical and complaining and worldly. And it changed everything about the way I felt about my church and about the Bible and about following the Lord. And God brought me under conviction about that. You say, what'd you do? I had to lay aside that friendship and go back to the one that was going to bring me closer to God. We need to, if we sense, I'm not growing the way that I should. I had several people come up and said, you know, that question you asked us this morning, has there ever been a time in my life when I've been closer to God than I am right now? They said, that question haunted me. I had several people talk to me about that. And they said, I, I think that's a question I'm going to keep asking myself. Has there ever been a time that I'm closer to God than I am right now? If your answer to that is yes, find out why. Is, is it one of these reasons? And if so, you say, what do I do? Lay it aside. Change the friendship. Get rid of the sin. Eliminate the pride and humble yourself in the sight of God and say, Lord, I, I need you with every fiber of my being. I need your word. I need preaching. I, I, I need you to work in my life and humble yourself. And if your problems are overwhelming you and causing you maybe to get a little bit of a bad spirit against God, Paul said in the midst of his troubles, his grace is sufficient. Just grab a hold of God. Lord, I need you to get me through this. Find out what it, whatever it is that's causing you to not grow and lay that aside. Can we bow our heads, close our eyes? Thank you for listening well tonight.